Hi guys, welcome back. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And we have a weird episode today just because we had to record par- part of it um, at ho- at our each of our homes and part of it um, through our mic together. Yeah, so, we explain it in the episode, yeah. but don't mind the quality because it's not as good as usual. Yeah, we just wanted to apologize for that, but shit happens and we know you guys understand, so. Yeah. You want to talk about our coffee today? Do you yeah. have anything you want to talk about? Um, beforehand, let me think. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I can't know. wait for the holidays this year. I know. That's all I gotta say. I know. I don't know if you guys <laughs> know that, but... Maybe if you're new, I don't know. Carson and I got COVID on Christmas Eve last year, and it was one of the most depressing things ever. And then we all had COVID. Yeah. Well, most of us. I had COVID. But, like, waking up on Christmas Day, one, feeling like asshole. Yeah. And two, like, literally laying in bed knowing that I'm not going to see anybody. I know. It was so horrible. I woke up crying. It was fucking awful. We were all separated, and then we were all separated for New Year's as well. Yeah. Just home. I remember New Year's, I was literally on the couch, one couch, Timo was on the other couch. Yeah. We were watching The Queen's Gambit, and I remember waking up at one point and being like, because I kept falling asleep, and I was like, what time is it? And then I was like, oh my god, it's almost midnight. Yeah. And we were like, happy New Year, and that was it. I don't even think I stayed awake. It was... It was so depressing. I th- I'm just thankful that this year, that one, hopefully we will be healthy, and two, a lot of the restrictions have loosened up a lot because I was so, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate, I was so depressed during COVID, like when COVID was bad with the yeah, lockdowns and stuff. Same. It was really depressing. My anxiety depressing. was through the roof as well. Yeah. But I think I'm also just super excited because this is the first time we're actually going to be get together with extended family in two years. Two fucking years. Can you believe that that's how long this has been going on? Yeah. Two years. And we're going overboard with our family Christmas. Way overboard. <laughs> we have a spreadsheet yeah. on Google Sheets. And it's like... Oh, too much food's coming, but Way whatever. Way too much, but yeah. everybody's really excited to, like, bring stuff, and yeah. Carson... I can't wait to be with everyone. I'm, like, looking through the sheet the other day, and it was, like, um, sides, and I'm looking, I'm looking, and Carson writes, smoked ham. I'm, like, since when is a whole ham a side, first of all? Second of all, like, no. Yeah, my mom was, like, don't bring ham. <laughs> I was, like, why would you even do that? There's That's, like, a, that's supposed to be a side. It's supposed to be, like, a vegetable or, like, Meanwhile, mashed potatoes. we come from an Italian family where... Our appetizer is lasagna. Like, you know this by now, where people are like, the first time Timo Timo was ever with us for Christmas, he is eating the lasagna, and I'm like, babe, slow down. Like, this isn't the main meal. This is an appetizer. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this is the appetizer. Yeah. Like, we have all app, mini apps and all that, then lasagna, then the the main, yeah, and and everything else, yeah. Yeah, but he's like... I want to smoke something. I'm like, you do realize that our plane lands on Christmas Eve and, like, it's late <laughs> and we're going to be waking up on Christmas morning and you're going to want to smoke a fucking ham? Yeah. Like, no, that's not happening. So we're making a charcuterie board. Nice. Yeah. I'm in charge of the mashed potatoes. I love how everybody put, like, famous mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah. like, Mom's famous mac and cheese. I'm yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah, and I'm making pistachio cake. Mm. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be good. There's going to be a fuck ton of food, which means a lot of leftovers, so I'm not mad about mm-hmm. that. 
And a lot of love. Yeah. I can't wait to see everyone. I'm just so excited. And yeah. Kelsey and I have been talking about how both of us aren't really like this. And yeah. we've had our Christmas decorations up for weeks now. I had mine up before fucking Thanksgiving. I've been listening to Christmas music since before Thanksgiving. I'm not that kind of person Me either. I, I listen the night before New Year or the night before Christmas Eve. Eve. I put the Christmas music station on my Alexa at work. I have mine on in my car. I was like, wait, <laughs> what the fuck is happening to me? Timo and I have been doing puzzles at night because we're old. <laughs> and um, we have Christmas music playing while we're doing the puzzles. Puzzles piss me off so bad. <laughs> I love puzzles. I really cannot. I don't have the patience for them. You, you guys su- are big puzzle people. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't been sucked in yet with no, our whole family no. doing puzzles. I can't. I can't sit there. I can't do it. I, I we were on it. vacation so with my family and Carson came and there was a puzzle there of like Chicago or something. Spent the entire, not the whole time, but like a majority of his time doing the puzzle, doing the puzzle and everyone was thought it was so funny. We're like, Carson's going to finish the puzzle. <laughs> and I'm like, this is what they do all the time. I, I hate know. puzzles. We're <laughs> obsessed. Our family's obsessed. And it's so funny because the first night Timo and I started the one we're doing right now, uh, all of a sudden we checked the time. It was 12 in the morning. We oh had my God. The next day and we were like, what are we doing? That would never happen to me. That's a problem I can never say what happened to me. Never say never, Cal. I will never enjoy puzzles. <laughs> I just won't. It All right, happen. should we get into our coffee review? Yeah, Since, so... Oh, typical for us, we're seven minutes in. Perfect. It happens. This one is a Starbucks K-cup coffee, actually. Yeah. Because, you know, why not? We haven't done a Starbucks K-cup since we were since that crappy deeply one. disturbed. What was that one? <laughs> like, second episode in. It, it was, was so the bad. cinnamon dolce, cinnamon Ugh. something, and it was awful. It was literally cinnamon water. It was so gross. <laughs> yeah. This is, I'm going to say it a different way than Kelsey. This is caramel, caramel coffee. <laughs> caramel for all you normal people out there. No, I'm just kidding. Um... I think this one is really good. I really love Starbucks coffee. Um, I always have. I think it's so much better than Dunkin'. Don't come after me. No, same, but I do love uh, small business and yeah. coffee shops better than that. I do too. Better than Starbucks. But I don't know why I really like this. I get caramel flavored everything every time I go to get coffee. I know you do. That's why I grab this one. <laughs> I always get a caramel latte everywhere I go or a caramel macchiato. So this one, I think this one's really good for me. I think it's really good, too. It does taste like when you get it at Starbucks. It does. Maybe not like not a barista made yeah. it, but it's still good. But I think, for me, the smell is better than the taste. I don't know. I think, for me, the, they both match up. Probably doesn't help that I can't smell very well right now, but I think they're pretty good. All right, so... Everyone, you know where to go for Starbucks. We don't need to give you an Instagram or a website. That's not happening. (laughs) But you can buy these K-Cups, you know, at the store. You don't have to go and buy, like, expensive Starbucks every day. I got it at our local Walgreens. (laughs) Shout out Walgreens! That place is my shit! (laughs) That's the only store I've, like, been into since the beginning of the pandemic, basically. Well, besides, like, TJ Maxx, but food store-wise, I always just go to Walgreens. It's never crowded. I think my rating is going to be higher than you on this one. I think so, too. I really Should we say it on three? Yeah. One, two, three, seven and a half. What? I'm going to give it a five. No, I don't think it's bad. I just like bad. I just like the smell better than the taste. Oh, I mean, <laughs> what the hell? 
I mean, I guess on my, where I'm putting it on the scale is like, it definitely does not compare to like some of the good ones that we've done. I don't know. But it's up there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't dislike it, but it's not the best. It's definitely caramely. But it's good, it's good for a Starbucks K-cup. I think it's really good if you like Starbucks and you want to save money and don't want to buy a $5 coffee every day. Yeah. It's a good option. If you want me to be super critical, I would say 7, 7.5, but yeah. we just met. <laughs> we have again. to match up again somehow. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's the first time we're talking about it, so <laughs> it is what it is. All right, we ready? Yeah. So, so grab, grab your, your coffee, coffee and, and have, have a morning, morning with us. Hey. Hey. Okay. So this week we are recording in a little bit of a different situation. So I just wanted to let you know that if the audio quality is not as great as it usually is, um, that is why. So I just wanted to say that before we got started. Yeah, we had a little bit of a scheduling difficulty. <laughs> it happens. All right, so let's jump into it. Yes, so today's case was suggested by Alyssa again. Thank you so much, Alyssa. You always give the most interesting case ideas to us and ones that we've never heard of. Thanks so for coming through. She is like literally the best. She always sends me like a million cases, and I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> So today's case is of Anatoly Moskvin. So a little background. Anatoly Yurovich Moskvin was his full name, and he was born September 1st of 1966 in Gorky, Russia, SFSR, Soviet Union. He was 45 years old at the time of this story. He lived in Nizhny Novgorod, Russia, at home with his parents, his mom was named Elvira Moskvin, and his father was Yuri Moskvin, and he was an only child. He had a happy childhood until a few traumatic events took place. Severely traumatic. Uh, these just like, when I read this, I was like, how does this even happen? I feel yeah. horrible that he yeah. was a child when this happened to him. It's awful. So he was raped in third grade by a man while coming home from school. And he actually didn't even end up telling anybody about this until he was around 50 years old. Mm. Like, imagine holding on to that for that long. That's absolutely awful. Horrible. March 4th, 1979, he was 12 years old and he was on a school trip. A group of men convinced and potentially even forced Moskvin to go to a funeral with them. The funeral was for an 11-year-old girl named Natasha Petrova. She was brought, or I'm sorry, he was brought up to the casket of the girl, and the girl's mother told him to bow and kiss her daughter. Ugh. I feel like this is just like a bad nightmare. Yeah, and just to clarify for anyone who's like, why was he with a group of men on a class trip? Right. Um, I had read in an article that it was at, the class trip was actually to like, help clean up the city and there was a bunch of schools involved and it was they're basically like whoever can pick up the most dirt from this place or whatever it was like a competition between schools I just like and, don't get how it went from that to like hey come to this funeral with me yeah they were like walking all over the city I guess and somehow he ended up with this group of men so weird yeah 
So, yeah, he was brought up to the casket of this girl that passed away named Natasha. And her mother was like, you know, you have to, can you bow and kiss her? And Moskvin began to cry. And the men pushed his face down to Natasha until he kissed her forehead three times, oh which is God, horrifying. So fucked up. And how did no one at the funeral step in? I know. And be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. The mother then kissed him on the forehead and gave him an apple. Which, again, I had the article that we found this information in. I had read that looking at it now from, like, a child's perspective, he might have then, like, subconsciously in his mind correlated getting that apple as a reward. Right. Like, positive reinforcement. Right. Yeah. Terrifying. So, this is a quote. The mother then reached into her pocket, brought out two brass rings, and wore one on Moskvin's finger and the other on her dead daughter's finger. And then when she finished, she took she looked at Moskvin and told him that they are now married. She also gave him some money and fruits and sent him on his way. So Moskvin went on from this traumatizing funeral he had attended, thinking he was married to this dead girl. And that was a quote from medium.com. And again, he's 12 years old. Like how traumatizing you're on a trip trying to do like charity work, basically. And this happens to you. Yeah. Like, how do you even explain that to someone? Part of me is like either the mom was going through some mental break for losing her 11 year old daughter. Right. And she was like, she didn't get to get married or something. Right. Right. Or this is according to this man who you will learn about later on. And did this really happen? Right. Like, did he have mental issues at this point in his life? Right. Right. Or create this situation. Yeah. And if it did happen, I could see why he became mentally disturbed because that is a really well two really fucked up things to go through as a child like very very traumatizing right and it's like I don't, it's just horrifying yeah so after this event happened he claimed that he had recurring dreams of the girl um after this event these dreams included the young girl telling him to practice black magic So I feel like that kind of is where almost some mental health kind of jumps in there. Cause like, um, I don't know. I just feel like that's like the start of a delusion or something. Yeah. And in these dreams, apparently they were really vivid and she was saying like, and, uh, and he keep in mind, he was thinking this girl was his wife. Right. She was saying basically like, I'm not going to leave you alone until you do these black magic, magic rituals. And, like, go to this place and do this. And, like, he would try to ignore it. And then the next night he'd have another dream and another dream and another dream. And then he finally went to this, like, one spot she mentioned in the dream. And then he said the dream stopped. Which is just, like, I don't know. I feel like it's, like, maybe misinterpreted and, like, I I don't know. Maybe that this is where his mental health started. Or this truly did happen and he was traumatized because he didn't get to speak to anybody you know, from an early age of right. something as horrifying as what happened to him. Yeah, or it was already part of his delusions and he was just, like, creating all of this. Right, in his own no. head. Yeah. yeah. 
So a little bit more about him. He studied at Moscow State University and Nizhny Novgorod State Linguistic University. At some point, he worked at the Institute of Foreign Languages. He was multilingual and spoke 13 languages. Like what? This man was very intelligent. How the fuck do you learn 13 languages? Yeah. That's amazing to me. That's incredible. He also worked as a journalist. He was described as, quote, a genius and an eccentric, which is a quote from Wiki, which it it's very crazy that someone described him as eccentric because even though he was described that way, he had parts of his personality that were very reserved. Right. So I felt like it was like somewhat conflicting, but you can also see it with some of the things that he does later on. Right. Yeah. He was a linguist, which is the study of language, a philologist, which is the study of literary texts and or oral and written records, and a historian. He also took part in Celtic studies and folklore. He eventually lectured in Celtic studies at Nizhny Novgorod Linguistic University. So, he was very smart. Yeah, and like well, well read, and and I mean, I mean, he was a very... professor at a university. Like that's that's big. Yeah, he was well known academically. He frequently wrote for Necrologies, which was quote a weekly newspaper that publishes obituaries and stories about cemeteries and famous dead people. And that was a quote from Wiki. I'm sorry, but. That's a weird, I'm sorry, that's just a weird newspaper. Yeah. Like, why is there a newspaper about obituaries and stories about cemeteries? For people who are into that type of stuff like him, I think. I guess. I don't know. But I don't know. That is like a really interesting newspaper. Yeah. I don't Uh, know. That's strange. I've never heard of anything like it. Yeah, me either. So, from 2009 to 2010, he had published work in Nizhny Novgorod Worker, which was a newspaper. And even so, with all of these well-known academic things he was doing, he was very seclusive. He didn't get married or even date. And the only woman he was known to have a relationship with was named Yalia. This was in 2003. He loved her but didn't want a sexual relationship. And she was completely fine with this, but didn't but did want a child. So they tried to adopt to kind of like come to a like, mutual yeah, thing. Try to yeah. compromise. It sounds like he was asexual, which totally fine. Yeah. So or maybe just like extremely traumatized from what from happened being raped right. as a child. Yeah. Right. So the adoption agencies required them to be married at this time in 2003, and Mosfin didn't want to. So they were unable to adopt because he didn't want to marry her. Yeah. And because of this, they broke up, which was a blessing in disguise for her, I think. God bless. Yeah. So Moskvin didn't drink alcohol, smoke, and abstain from sex. And allegedly, he was a virgin. So. um, I think he was asexual. 
yeah i'm thinking the same yeah which i mean i mean to each their own that's completely fine right but that's just like part of his background that we felt needed to be included yeah exactly so moving on to some interesting hobbies of his because obviously learning 13 languages was probably wasn't enough too, but these <laughs> are a little more different yes 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 <laughs> he was very intrigued by cemeteries burial rituals the occult and death and that might explain why he wrote for that type of magazine yeah it makes sense yeah this obsession stemmed from the experience he had with the little girl that had passed away and the dreams he had of her that's where he like kind of described his fascination starting was with the dreams of her being like oh you need to practice black magic i mean i feel like if you don't talk through things like they can almost snowball and manifest into something like that yeah probably especially as a child where you don't know like well potentially don't know right from wrong or know how to cope with something like that traumatic right yeah so he would go to cemeteries with friends when he was a kid and he was considered an expert on local cemeteries the only yeah i mean i would randomly go to cemeteries with my friends as a kid not gonna lie i did too (laughs) but like as an adult but not not for the no, I feel like as a kid, it was like, it was almost like a rebellious thing. I don't know. Yeah. Or like, oh, I want to, I want to get freaked out and see if I could see any spirit. Right. You know? So, but this is how he described it, which is taking it to a whole other level Yeah. from little Kelsey and little Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> so the only time felt peace was in a graveyard. Interesting. Yeah. He also had a library of over 60,000 books and documents. The way it was worded in the article, I don't know if it meant 60,000 books and documents on, like, the occult and cemeteries and death and all of that, or just in general. Right, they don't specify. (laughs) Yeah. He allegedly joined a satanic group, which... If he did, they described as him, like, partaking in sacrifices and stuff within it, which is another whole level of Yeah, I feel like that just, um, it it just, like you said, takes it to a whole other level. Yeah. He also collected dolls and had a large amount of them. Nope. (laughs) No dolls. No dolls for me. No. I can't even watch Annabelle. Really? Oh yeah, we yeah. talked about this. You're terrified of Annabelle. Yeah. Have did you ever used to watch Pretty Little Liars? Yeah, but okay. like bits and pieces. <laughs> okay. There was a whole episode with dolls and this doll store and them in this store with like porcelain dolls and masks and all this. Ew. And both my both mom and I were completely freaking out and I could barely get through the episode. <laughs> Ew. So randomly off topic, but my grandma used to buy me these like porcelain dolls when I was uh. little to like put in like my little curio cabinet in my room uh. and they freaked me the fuck out yeah. and I literally had to turn them around because I couldn't look at them anymore. Yeah. I'm no, like, I, I can't have dolls. I can't have them in my room. <laughs> it was horrifying. Yeah. How did you sleep with them there at night? I turned them around. <laughs> So I couldn't see their faces. But then what happens if they their heads started turning on their own back forward? I would move out. 
Like what are you out. from? From <laughs> Toy Story. No, I'd move out. That's fucking gross. Oh god. All right. So moving on to 2005. Mothman was commissioned, quote, to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries in 40 regions of the Nizhny Novgorod Oblast. Mothman claimed that between 2005 and 2007, he had gone on foot to inspect 752 cemeteries across the region, walking up to 30 kilometers or 18.6 miles a day. And that was a quote from Wiki. God damn. Yeah. This man got his steps in. Yeah, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) He was basically a nomad during this and would sometimes even sleep in the cemeteries. Other times he slept at like abandoned farms or just on the ground somewhere. Okay. I get like he was. Yeah, he was homeless. But, Not um, really. He, like, chose to do that. Right. Like, he was homeless by choice. Like, he liked being, like, a In nomad. Cemeteries. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, he would occasionally be stopped and questioned by police with the work he was doing because, obviously, they suspected him of theft or vandalism within the grave sites because he was just around them all the time and they thought it was weird. <laughs> He was never arrested because he would tell them why he was there and his credentials. And they'd be like, oh, okay. Like, it's like, work. I'm sorry. What were his credentials? That he was, like, the professor and had all these background. Like, we, we discussed his. Uh... Oh, I thought you meant, like, he had, like, credentials in, like, local cemeteries of, like, he was, like, the, like, groundskeeper or something. No, that he was, like, a linguist and a historian and that he was a, a professor and now this person hired him to take, like, numbers of the dead. He he just basically, like, showed all that or explained all that to them. And, and they, they were like, like oh, all okay. right, cool. Yeah, they were like, oh, you're actually a pretty cool guy. My God, I can't. <laughs> so random people even found him suspicious and would ask what he was doing in the cemeteries. Imagine like people visiting their family members and just seeing him like wandering. No. No. I don't like that. It's creepy. Yeah. And he'd just be like standing there or going by the graves. Who knows if he was like bending down or laying on them. People might have been finding him like sleeping on top of graves. No, if I went to the graveyard and saw somebody sleeping on top of a gravesite, I would be freaked out. Yeah. He even said sometimes he would, in order to, like, quench his thirst, if he was in a cemetery, he would just drink from the puddles from on pu- the ground. From puddles, yeah. Yeah. Ew. Ew. Yeah. So gross. Um, so now we're on to November 2nd, 2011, um, which was Sydney's birthday. Shout out, Sydney. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not 2011, <laughs> but November 2nd. <laughs> Sydney's 10 years old. Sydney's actually <laughs> 10. To our podcast. <laughs> Police were investigating grave desecrations that had happened in and around the Nizhny Novgorod area. They were immediately suspicious of Moskvin because of his fascination with the graveyards and him making this basically known to everybody in public. So they were like, all right, must be the guy that's always around the graveyards. <laughs> must be. <laughs> right? Like, who else would they go to, you know? I shouldn't. I'm not laughing because of what 
came of this. I'm laughing because this man just like wandered around and expected not to be suspected. Right. And like he made it known like how obsessed he was with these grave sites. Yeah. So the it's police very sad. It is. It's horrible. Yeah. The police showed up at Moskvin's home to arrest him and when they went in the house, they saw that there were life-size dolls everywhere. If I were an officer and walked into a house and fucking saw that, I would literally scream and leave. I would be I would never go inside. I would just scream and leave. Like the next scream from New Girl when he meets Prince and then just peace out. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way I would like go any further in that moment. No. I don't understand or I would or like did any of these cops nervously laugh? Like what are all these dolls like what is this like what the fuck are we about to walk into yeah so this is another quote from medium.com quote the dolls were all dressed up wearing bonnets ribbons and they all seemed to have makeup on there was about 26 of these life-size dolls in total ranging in sizes from about child size to probably about four foot tall ordering up to adult human size Mm, weird yeah Moskvin was taken to the police station and some of the officers stayed behind to search the house for evidence to build their case. So they were like, okay, something weird's going on here, but we don't know exactly what. We have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. The house was a mess and some of the dolls had to be moved to get to documents and other things that they wanted to like look for. So they had to move all of these 26 dolls. One of the dolls made a rattling sound when it was moved. So the officer decided to cut open the doll to see if something had been, like, hidden inside of it. They weren't sure what was going on. I'm sure they were thinking, oh, we might find, like, jewelry that was stolen from a gravesite. Right. Or, you know, something Right, like, like some kind of evidence. Yeah. So there was no evidence in it, but it was a fucking mummified body of a girl. I'm going to throw up. Like, that's what they found when they basically unwrapped and undressed these dolls to see what was inside i have the chills because that is so that's literally house of wax but in real life no literally he used to cover these these poor remains of these poor little girls face he would put like a wax mask on them to kind of help preserve so he could like put makeup on them yeah there's pictures it's very disturbing it's horrifying yeah so these dolls um contain the bodies of girls ranging from age three to 25 years old oh my god <sighs> there was 26 of them but originally the r- report said 29 so just a little bit of differing info there but he was ultimately suspected of desecrating around 150 graves that is so fucked up 150 graves and 26 to potentially 29 children and women that's horrible i wonder i mean these families had to have been like not only did they lose these these girls are from three to 25 years old yeah not only did they lose their children because they were all young 
after having to go through that trauma, then their bodies just go missing from the graveyard. And then this happens? Like, how do you even deal with that? Yeah, and then they find out that's where they are in a man's house, dressing them up as dolls. Like, how do you even deal with that? Oh, my God. So, Moskvin took the bodies of the girls from the graves and turned them into dolls, which they lived in in his home after that. Oh, my God. He had their birthdays on the wall in his bedroom. And this is a Wikipedia quote. Quote, police also discovered instructions for making the quote-unquote dolls, maps of cemeteries in the region, and a collection of photographs and videos depicting open graves and disinterred bodies. Though none of this evidence could be conclusively connected to any of the bodies found in the apartment, according to the investigation, the bodies primarily came from cemeteries in the Nizhny Novgorod region though some may have come from far, as far away as Moscow. Oh, I cannot. That how did he, so disturbing. like, logically, how in the fuck did this guy take these bodies out of the grave and move them to his house? Yeah. Without anybody noticing? Yeah. I wonder how he did move them. Because that is, like, how did he do it 26 times? He must have he must have had some kind of cart or something and been and like ex, if someone saw him explained it away like oh it's for I'm I'm this I do this research I do this just like it said before he stated his credentials and people were just like okay right cuz he was well known yeah and people like trusted him yeah he That's was the said the only thing I could like how else would he move those that I don't understand and it had to have been at night. I don't know. He said that he actually made all of these dolls over a 10-year period of time. So Holy fuck. It, he was doing this for a really, really long time. Yeah. His parents were unaware, uh, unaware of the situation since they were away a lot of the time. But I had actually read that they lived in the same flat like as um, Moskvin did. Yeah, they did. They He lived with his parents, but they, like, went away. But then when they were home, they said he thought – they thought it literally was just, like, these dolls right. that he got. And, like, this was his new hobby of, like, making these large dolls. Yeah. I don't understand that, but we'll not go there. <sighs> so now we're on to the charges and outcome of everything. So, Moskvin was charged under Article 244 of the Criminal Code for desecration of graves and dead bodies. This charge was associated with a five-year fucking sentence. How? Five fucking years for doing what he did to 26 poor people? He Like, he didn't murder them himself but still like there That's should be so a disrespectful. lot longer yeah and there should be a lot longer charge than that because that's still freaking disrespecting the body of someone and probably traumatizing the family yeah he was also charged with defacing muslim graves which is considered a hate crime but this was later dropped as a charge what the fuck I don't know. And apparently this was allegedly I'd read that he actually targeted a lot of Muslim children when he went to dig up and desecrate the graves. 
why I don't why was that dropped later? I don't understand. No. It should never have been dropped. He should have been he, charged. He should be recharged because that's absolutely fucked up. Moskvin was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia after a psych evaluation that happened a little bit after, you know, he was arrested. Mm. In May, uh, May 25th, 2012, Leninsky District Court of Nizhny Novgorod said that Moskvin was, quote, unfit to stand trial due to his mental state. And he was released from criminal charges. <sighs> like part of me like understands why he had the mental illness, but it doesn't yeah. excuse his actions. No. And it also doesn't show how he's mentally unfit when he was able to write all, all these articles and was like an upstanding citizen and, this smart, brilliant man until he did something like this. Right. Like, I feel like he, yes, he clearly had a mental illness and that's absolutely awful, but he should also be held accountable for his actions when he was able to make decisions in other things. As a fully functioning adult. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So he was taken to a psychiatric inpatient unit. In February 2013, a hearing was granted. uh, They granted an extension of his psych treatment. And then it was extended again to April of 2014. And then once more to July of 2015. So it just kept getting extended. um, Mm -hmm. Basically them saying like he wasn't you know, treated or he needed to stay longer. They thought he would benefit for a longer stay in the inpatient treatment unit. Hmm. Sorry if there's like backlog right now. I could hear myself. I hope it's not picking up that up. Oh, I don't hear it. So hopefully okay, not. Good. Okay. <laughs> All right. In 2014, a spokesman said, quote, after three years of monitoring him in a psychiatric clinic, it is absolutely clear that Moskvin is not mentally fit for trial. He will therefore be kept for psychiatric treatment at the clinic. So. Yeah. In September 2018, his doctors said he was no longer a danger to society and petitioned the court to release him to outpatient care from his home. February 2019, another psych eval was done, and it was determined that he actually was not ready to be released, and the hospital took back their petition. So, like, from 2013 to 2019, nothing was accomplished as far as, like, getting this man stable enough for at least outpatient treatment? Yeah. I don't understand. And what did he do for them to suddenly backtrack him not being a danger to society and be like, actually, he can't be released? Maybe they like maybe some like event happened on the psych ward where like he had a mental breakdown or something or they went through like typical questioning because usually they do like daily interviews with the patients and Uh, maybe something something like like set him off or something. Yeah. (sighs) All right. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, this is this is a rough one because obviously mental illness is definitely involved. But at the same time, he like we said, he should be held accountable for what he did to those girls and to their families. Right. I agree. So, yeah, 
Um, moving into his motive, in an interview after his arrest, Mosbin said he felt sorry for the dead children and wanted to bring them back to life by science or black magic. So he clearly was in some kind of delusion. Yeah. He began searching for obituaries of dead children, and when he found one that quote-unquote spoke to him, he would go and sleep on the child's grave to determine if their spirit wanted to be brought back to life. Okay, so he was sleeping on graves. Like, that is just the most horrifying thing. Yeah. Like, that's how he rationalized it. Yeah. We also forgot to mention that in some of these um dolls that he made he literally put music boxes in their chests yeah i i read that and it literally just broke my heart yeah that is i don't uh, it's just so disrespectful yeah and just completely devastating for for their families i just can't even imagine yeah He said that in the beginning, he would just sleep on the grave and never dig up a body without permission of the spirit. He then said it began to be physically painful for him to sleep on the graves, so he would take the bodies home to sleep next to him in hopes the spirit would be more willing to speak in a safe, welcoming home. Yeah. He thought they may hear easier than when they were buried underground. So that was kind of like his mind rationalizing this. It's like all delusions and yeah. it's just it's horrible. I I wish he had been treated way before all of this happened. Right. And I think I just wanted to mention, I think you forgot to mention up a little bit higher, but the reason why he slept on the graves to hear the spirits, um, this was actually learned from an ancient druid. Uh, which was a Celtic culture, high-ranking class member, such as a religious member. And they would actually sleep on graves and communicate with spirits of the dead. So that's kind of where he learned that practice from. And he was taking it to modern day. Holy crap. And he was into all, like, the historical stuff and folklore. So he obviously read that and just his mind just, like, went with it. It ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Wow. I want, like, I wonder how his mind chose to kind of, like, stick to certain things like that, you know? I feel like Like he rationalized it. He was like, this makes sense for what I believe, so I'm going to try it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, he researched how to preserve the bodies after exhumation by drying the corpses with salt and baking soda. Once the body, it's, yeah, that's, I cannot imagine someone doing that to another human being i can't either yeah once the bodies dried he would take them home and make dolls in order to give the children bodies and bring them back to life he felt they would think the corpses were too ugly and decayed for the spirits to return to the bodies he really uh, his like disillusioned mind really thought these things out yeah it's so interesting like it's so scary yeah how he actually he, like he literally 
had mental illness, but at the same time, his mind was like rationalizing these things in such a deep way. Yeah, he was like basically like, oh, I I dug up their corpse. You know, it's a corpse. This person's spirit's not here anymore. They're not going to recognize themselves. So I have to dress them up as humans again and make them quote unquote pretty instead of ugly. And it's just like the the fact that he thought that it's just scary. Yeah. So that's why he decided to paint their nails, use wigs, children's clothes, etc. Kelsey mentioned earlier the ribbons and the bonnets and he had put makeup on them and everything. So Mosman said he knew he was committing a crime, but said that he felt the dead children were calling out to be rescued, and this was more important than obeying the law. So right there tells you, like, he understood that he was breaking a law. Yes, like, he knew he was doing something wrong. And even though his reasoning behind it was delusional, how does he not get charged with something more than what he was charged with? Yeah, That honestly throws that whole case out the window. I don't understand it. No. Because that shows that he was... He was mentally ill, but he was mentally competent enough to understand that he was doing something illegal and wrong. Right. Even if his rationalization was, like I said, delusional, he knew he was doing wrong. Yeah. It's not like he was doing it and, and then after, once he was on meds and stuff, was like, oh my god, I didn't even know that I was like doing something that i shouldn't have been doing right he was aware and he yeah and this is next part just kills me yeah so part of his motive behind doing all of this was that he wanted a daughter of his own like actually against his parents wishes he tried to adopt a child a girl but he was denied due to his low income status so so he was denied adoption twice yeah wow he denied sexual attraction to the dolls and said they were like his children. Which said, I actually I actually believe that though because like we mentioned before, right. He seems like he could have possibly have been asexual. Right. I think this was more I think it was deeper than something like that. Yeah. He sang songs with them, watched cartoons and had birthday parties. I literally want to puke saying that. Yeah. He refuses to apologize to the parents of the children, saying, quote, These girls are girls. They are no parents. There are no parents in my view. I don't know any of them. Besides, they're ba- they buried their daughters, and this is where I believe their rights over them finished. So, no, I will not apologize. That makes me nauseous. Like, I'm sorry, what gives you the right then at that point? To go and do what you did to their bodies. Mm-hmm. That just like, doesn't make any sense. You're you're thinking their rights ended over them. Well, why do why are you, why do you have any form of right over them? Right. Ugh. Horrible. That's Absolutely so horrible. That's so disgusting. This case was really messed up. I've never heard anything like it. Mm, me either I hope I never hear anything like it again honestly I just I just feel like things like this are so fascinating to me again like we've said in the past it's like how are people like this like how does this happen mm-hmm. I feel like there's some needs to be something 
better in place for helping people with mental illness starting from like a younger age and I know, I know. I feel like they sh- there should be that. like a screening technique or something in schools yeah. where they can pick out I mean to an extent I feel like there is like for severely you know behaviorally challenged kids but I feel like there needs to be something more for like trauma survivors or you know just things that kids don't talk about with their families yeah definitely that I mean a lot of I feel like even the behavioral kids that when it's noticeable behaviors yeah like there's programs put in place for that but what about the stuff that you can't see right like what happens behind closed doors that Mm -hmm. you need to like you need to get questions answered I don't Mm -hmm. know and like give them an outlet yeah or even just like internal struggles where kids don't show it on the outside and it's not like they're like aggressive on the outside they're like quietly walking in silence and then I mean, most of the time, hate to bring it up because it's so fresh with what just happened, but um, school shooters, Yeah, a lot of those times, it's kids that, like, it, they're not like they're lashing out with behavior problems. They're quiet. They're to themselves, you know, like. Right. Uh, I don't even know. something like in, like an eating disorder, like kids don't, even like in high schools, I feel like kids don't want to go talk to somebody about that right and then it snowballs into something that's like affecting their lives after high school as well and it's just I don't know I feel like there needs to be like some kind of screening technique when they're kids definitely you I feel like with that kind of stuff and talking and learning how to cope with things and how to deal with things and talk about things you can never be too young for that right rather than internalize and have anger because of it Yeah, and especially as a child, a lot – like, when you're little, a lot of the time you don't even – we've mentioned this in other episodes, but I'm going to just reiterate it. You don't even know, like, how to express yourself or say, I feel this way because – so, like, a lot of the times that's when you see tantrums with kids because they're – they don't know what they're feeling and how to express it besides, like, getting upset or getting angry over it. Right. And if there was just a way for them to be like, I – feel this way because with like an act like a system put into place with specific things that you go through to talk to them and and get them to be able to express that I feel like that would help right and I feel like it helps to an extent but then like how do these kids go home and practice that if their families are abusive or you know you can only do so much I think but something needs to be done yeah if it's not like carried from school to home right but at least like if it happened at school or happened at some kind of place if you're willing if your parents are willing to take you to therapy at a young age or whatever at least they know that there's some sort of safe space for them right something yeah yeah which is horrible it's really sad Mm mm-hmm so, so we have a listener story yeah I was gonna say kind of to switch gears um we have a listener story here I'm gonna read this one today and this one was sent in by a listener named Adam thank you Adam thank you so much I haven't read it like every listener story that we get sent I don't read them until the second I'm reading them on the podcast because I want to be surprised and shocked and all the things 
I didn't read it either, except for the first line that said, I may, it said something like, I may have told you this before, yeah. something like that. So I feel like I might know what he's talking about, but at the same time, I don't know. So I didn't read any further than that. So <laughs> we shall see. All right. So I'm going to start. Okay. It says, hey guys. So this is my paranormal story. I think I may have told you guys this one before, but it's the only thing crazy that's ever happened to me worth writing about. Oh, I can't wait. So I have always been afraid to fly. I would say that when I was younger, flying in airplanes was something I absolutely dreaded. I could never explain why, but the whole experience of flying just gave me anxiety. I would always have extreme anxiety the day before the flight, and it wouldn't end until the plane landed at my destination. Oh, my God. I've... I feel like that's a past life thing. Oh, my God. My entire body has chills right now. <laughs> my leg hair is growing. My leg hair is currently growing <laughs> centimeters right now. <gasps> a little over five years ago, I started having very vivid dreams involving me being on a plane and the plane crashing. Ugh. I always chalked it up to my phobia of flying because the reason of me having these dreams, but these dreams stood out in a particular way. The sound and the sensation of it all was so real. I had never experienced anything like that while dreaming. The dreams wouldn't be con consistent, but when I would have them, it would be terrifying. However, the last few times I had the dreams is when shit got even more terrifying. But the crazy thing is it didn't involve me actually being on the plane. The second to last dream I had, I remember me standing in a field of debris of a plane crash. Oh, my oh. God, the chills. I remember I was just walking through it. The experience of it, of it was unreal. I could feel the heat from the flames. I remember I could actually smell burning as well. At the very last second of the dream, I remember pulling a little girl out of the wreckage and hugging her. Then I woke up. I remember being freaked out by it, of course but I chalked it up to being a dream and honestly didn't think much of it. Holy fuck. I have the chills. Yeah. I like somewhat, he has told me this before, but I'm like remembering it as you're telling me. <sighs> it's insane. The last time I ever had a dream involving the plane crash was a few nights later. In this dream, I remember standing at an airport watching a plane descend and I knew in my dream that it was going to crash. Oh, <sighs> When it did, the sound of it was something I had never experienced in a dream before. It was so loud and overwhelming. After it crashed, I woke up. When I woke up, I had remembered the plane said Northwest on it. What? I thought it was weird since I had never flown from that airline in my life. He's literally in his dream, though. Sorry to, like, chime in. He's literally experiencing every perspective of this plane crash. Yeah. Like, he was the person on the plane. Then he was in the field. Like, then watching it. And then watching it take off. Whew. A few days later, I was thinking about it. And for some reason, I was compelled to type into Google... Quote, Northwest plane crash. Oh That's all I typed. When I did, my heart dropped. It turns out in 1987, Northwest Flight 255 departed from Phoenix, Arizona and immediately crashed after takeoff. <gasps> the craziest thing is that the only survivor out of the hundreds of victims was a four-year-old girl. Oh my fucking 
god oh, what the hell? oh i'm not laughing that i'm just terrified okay i i have something to say after you finish oh my god when I woke or when I looked up simulation videos of the plane crash, it goes down the exact same way that I saw it happen in my dream. Not only that, but when I took when I look at pictures of the crash site, it looks exactly like the debris field I was standing in when I had the dream of me pulling the girl out of the wreckage. To be honest, after it happened, I have not had a dream about plane crash since. Furthermore, since this has happened to me, I'm sorry, since this happened, as time moved on, my fear of flying has diminished greatly. I am no longer afraid to fly, to be honest. This is still something I cannot explain to this day. Holy fuck. What the fuck? What what happened? What even was that? Like, seriously, what was that? thinking and i'm so confused because at first i was gonna be like oh like you said past life type of thing where he was there and experienced it and he's like dreaming about like going deep into his mind remembering this but then part of me after the fact when you said the little girl was the only survivor i'm like oh my god did she survive because he literally pulled her out somehow right in some kind of like ripple in time or something right like some like different dimension that's the only thing i thought of yeah because it was in in 1987 yeah what the fuck which means oh my god dinosaurs are real either that or (laughs) (laughs) yeah dinosaurs are real but either that or i wonder if there was an actual person that was there when the plane crashed who pulled the little girl out and he was like seeing through them and he was seeing through them or he was them in a past life right because if it's in 87 that's not that long ago Mm -mm. and she was the only survivor either either he got her out somehow through like what you said with like another dimension type thing or he's looking at it through someone else's eyes that maybe was him in a past life or oh my god i need to find out this girl's name and talk to her oh my god we should do that we should find her for him and just be like like talk to her because if she was in 87 if she was four years old like oh my god Oh, my God. She's not much older than me, then. We should fucking find her. What the fuck? I'm so freaked out. That was the weirdest story I've ever heard. Adam, thank you so much for telling us this, because that was so mind-blowing. I know, and it makes you think, I wonder why he's not afraid of flying now, though. Maybe because he, like, released that. Maybe he was kind of holding on if it was a past life he might have been right. holding on to it or if it wasn't maybe he just like needed to like see it out and like see actually what came of it yeah or that, like, like it wasn't him or something yeah or like find out or like go through with that oh my god what if he like went back and changed something in time <gasps> adam <laughs> you sorcerer 
Adam's a fucking sorcerer. You're a wizard, Adam. <laughs> oh my god, that's so crazy. <laughs> what? What that's could this insane. have been? I don't know, but I need to find this girl now. I'm gonna go research this flight. Me too. I just got signed out of the computer. We're like hardcore creepers, so I'm pretty sure we can find her in like 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm spending the rest of my night. Right? So I, just for everyone that listens, not that you even give two fucks, but I deleted social media and it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a thought. What was your thought? What if Mossfin did black magic to make that happen to Adam and that tied back into the story Ooh, and we were meant to read it this day yeah no for real let's go research and I want to like I'm gonna be doing a deep dive into this plane crash now yeah okay bye guys see you next week <laughs> see you next week hope you enjoyed the episode bye Thanks, Adam <laughs> bye All right, guys, so we just wanted to quickly mention that we will be taking our first ever week off. Yes, we recorded on Thanksgiving, so be grateful. Yeah, we deserve (laughs) Christmas this year. Yeah, we're we're so overboard about Christmas this year. We really want to take the time to just sit back and relax and enjoy it with our family. Yeah, so you will not be hearing an episode next week, but we will be back on track on the 31st. Yeah. So we'll bring in the new year with you, bitches. Woo-hoo. <laughs> See you guys then. Enjoy Bye. your Christmas and whatever yeah. else you celebrate. Happy holidays. Bye, guys. Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.